Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Brought to you in association with Benfield Motor Group. Enjoy 15 edge offers on 12 great car brands at drivebenfield.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Everything That's Black and White, the podcast all about Newcastle United from the Chronicle. Uh, depleted numbers this week, so I'm Chris Scott sitting in for Mark Douglas, and we have Stu Rayner sitting in for Andy Fowler. Hi, right, Stu, you alright? Alright. And we've got, as always, Lee Ryder. Alright, Lee. Yeah, how are we doing? Alright, boys, so there's loads to crack on about today. Fantastic night last night. Uh, we have Honus Gutierrez coming back into the team. But mixed in with another disappointing result for Newcastle United. Lads, you two were at the match. Uh, how was it, Lee? Well, it was a night of uh, emotion. Um, very passionate game. I think Newcastle, to be fair to them, they kind of showed that they can mix it with the big boys. Uh, it wasn't the whitewash like Manchester City. Um, they went out there, they, they kept it level for, for a long time in that game. Um, they had chances to win the game. Few refereeing decisions went against them, um, but I think the main the main talking point of the night for me was Honest Gutierrez coming back. Uh, the ovation that he got was was fantastic. Um, only the game slightly marred by the spitting incident right in the middle of it all. So very disappointing to see two players going at it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, spitting's a horrible thing. It's not the worst thing in football, but it's it's what it's, it's up there. Mm. So. You know, we now wait to see the consequences of the suspensions. But one thing for certain, Newcastle will miss Papi Sissé more than Man United will miss Johnny Evans. Yeah, we, you know, we look at look at the spitting incident, and as you said, Lee, it's not the worst thing in the world. I've always said I'd rather someone spit at me than you know two foot me in the in the knee, for example. But it's it's not great, and we're looking at after the elbow on Coleman, he could see an even more. You know, people are talking about six games. It could even be seven for Cissé now, and. Where does that leave Newcastle United in terms of goals? Well, it's a big problem because CC's season is effectively over. We've said many times on this podcast um, how important he is because, quite simply, they haven't got anyone else who can get the goals. We're now stuck with uh, Manu Rivier, who's got effectively 10 games to go out there and show that he is a good player, mm-hmm. that he can get the goals, but we haven't seen much evidence of that. After Rivier, you're then on a playing players out of position. They might have to revisit Facundo Ferreira, who's mm-hmm. been absolutely hopeless, can't even get a game. Might even turn to Adam Campbell at gate 10 and recall him. But listen to what I'm saying, we're, we're talking about recalling a guy from the conference here mm-hmm. who might not make it at Newcastle. So big problems in attack for a team that are struggling to score goals anyway. And Stu, you were there last night. Does Riviere look like he can be the man to be placed, you say? Well... He made some very good runs last night. He got into some good positions. He should have had a penalty, of course, when Chris Smalling fouled him in the first half. But you never had any confidence that he was going to finish them off. Uh, so you, you've got him and then you've got Ayuso Perez, who, not unusually for a, a lad playing in the Premier League for the first time, seems to have run out of a bit of steam mid-season. 
Uh, and as Lee says, you know, beyond that, options are pretty thin at the moment. Uh, I mean, Cissé has been a problem all season in terms of consistently getting him on the field, but his, his goals per game ratio has been fantastic, and he will be sorely missed if he if he gets the long suspension that we fear he might. Mm. John Carver uh, came out last night and said, Rivier is just thinking too much, just needs to put his foot through the ball and strike it, but on the evidence that we've seen this season, he doesn't look like he can fill those the boots of Cissé, and if it's not him, and it's not Perez... You know, should we be looking at the midfield to like contribute towards goal scored? I I think that Sissoko is is going to be a key man now in, in the next ten games, and he's probably going to have to be a little bit more selfish. There was a recent game against Stoke where he sort of went clean through, and instead of taking the shot on, he unselfishly squared it to Obertan, who fluffed the chance, which would have won them the game. I think he's going to have to be a bit more selfish now. He can. He has got the ability to score. He's definitely got the ability to get in the positions, and uh, I think it's going to be down to, to the likes of Sissoko to, to start chipping in. You know, Obertan might have to get his act together a little bit on the, on, on that front, even though his primary role is to set goals up. And let's not put too much pressure on uh, Iosi Perez. He's he's a young player in his first season. He he was an attacker midfielder for Tenerife who got a lot of goals and he's just suddenly been thrown in as this uh, all singing, all dancing centre forward for Newcastle. It's a lot of pressure for a young boy in his first season. Um, I'd like to see some of the senior players like Sissoko step up the plate and start uh, tucking some chances away. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Perez has already shown his worth this season. You know, he's come what may. This will have been a good season for him. But, but for some of the other lads, these last three months will be a bit of a trial for people like Sami Amiobi to, to show that they should be involved in the first team next season mm. um, again for Revier you mentioned and, uh, and players like that you know there's for, for them what's left of the season uh, you know in another way for Gutierrez this is their opportunity to show that they should be back next season and back as important members of that team and not just fringe players mm. and from not scoring goals again it's another disaster to put it lightly at the back for Newcastle United Kroll makes a great save from Ashley Young previously and then I, I don't want to blame Kroll because I don't think it's his fault in in, in this situation uh, but you know you have to say basically gets an assist for an Ashley Young, Ashley Young winner I see where you're coming from it was, it was a rick but I personally think the 100 mile an hour back pass yeah. it doesn't make it easy for the goalkeeper I've spoken to a couple of goalkeepers this morning and they uh, <laughs> they've defended Kroll um, as they would because they've got the, their own union but just a moment of stupidity almost mm. from Medea Bede I'm sure he didn't mean it he didn't go out there and do mm. it on purpose but you know when you're nil-nil with Man United or when you're nil-nil with anyone at that stage of the game just get rid of it you know don't play it mess around with it in your own box and uh, it's cost them the game and it would have been a good point, I think, Stu, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And I think in Abid's case, it's possibly, I don't want to be making excuses for him, but it's um, possibly an indication of a bit of la- uh, a lack of match fitness because it doesn't just affect your legs, it affects your brain. Mm. And uh, late in a game, as you say, I'm sure if that had happened in the first 10 minutes, he would have just cleared his lines. Mm. But sometimes you, you, when you're just a bit tired, you're not quite thinking straight, you make a decision that you wouldn't otherwise make and at this level those sort of decisions can be punished and they were last night. So it was a really tight game last night. Was it a case of Newcastle United holding Man United or was it a case of two teams in not the best of form? They've won they've won in recent weeks both teams but you know 
both struggling for form. You know, who was the star performance last night, and where did Newcastle United go again? It, it's stuttering all the time. One win, you know, mm. one loss, one win, etc., etc. Well, I th- to, I've got to be totally honest. The first forty minutes really was all about Man United. Newcastle pinned in their own half. The possession was seventy percent for Man United, and really. I did feel it was only a matter of time before Man United got the breakthrough. I mean, Rooney missed mm. an unbelievable chance, mm. which yes. could have kind of um, opened the floodgates sort of thing. But then the spitting and actually turned the game a little bit, didn't it? That it did, yeah. that, that kind of put a little bit of doubt in Man United's mm. mind. It put them off the rhythm a little bit. Um, not saying it was a good thing to, to, to spit on someone, but... After that, Newcastle got a couple of chances towards the end of the um, first yes, half. Yeah. Came out in the second half, posed a few more questions. CCA had a glorious chance to, to put them one nil up and fluffed it. I was, he just kind of took it on a little bit too much mm. to his right. That would have been a, you know, a great moment for him. Um, but he, he couldn't finish it. And you know, If you leave the door ajar for a team like Man United, then... Nine times out of ten, they're going to take it. And if you give them a gift-wrapped opportunity, mm. um, they did. In, in terms of star performers, well, I think most Newcastle players were quite steady on the night. Really, um, I think I think probably possibly the two best performers on on the pitch were the two goalkeepers for the yeah, first eighty-seven exactly. minutes. Neither of them was massively overworked, but they both had a couple of good saves to make, and I, mm. I think that sort of shows you the balance of the game. Mm. Neither team, you know, Manchester United dominated the possession in the first half, but they didn't dominate the chances. Uh, and it, it was it was a game a game of few chances that could have gone either way. The penalty could have gone either way. So mm. if, if any of those saves hadn't been made, you could easily make a case for either team winning it, regardless of who you thought was the the better team yeah. or what have you. They, they both had chances to make it. Yeah. We, well, Lee, you mentioned uh, the spitting incident, um, you know, as the turning points, and everyone's talking about it post game. So. And the managers, apart from the managers, um, obviously, Van Gaal came out and defended Johnny Evans as you would expect. Said he didn't see the incident as you would expect, um, and John Carver said he looked in, he'd look into it. Let's talk about it then. You know, what what are your opinions on the on the incident? You know, I think it, it was unclear from my perspective whether Johnny Evans was actually spitting at Cissé or, or on the ground, but. The important thing, I guess, was that Cissé thought he was spitting at Cissé. Mm. And that's why it got the response it did. And, of course, the fact that Johnny Evans had kicked out at him as well. So, regardless of the spit, I don't think Evans is, is, is free from blame. Uh, I think they both could have got red cards regardless. And I think the, the unfortunate thing from a Newcastle perspective is that because the game was live on television, this is something Alan Pardew was talking about earlier in the week with Yedinak, because the game was live on television, there will be that much more attention on it and that much more pressure on the FA to act. If it had been a last-on-match-of-the-day job, there may not have been quite the clamour and quite the uh, focus on this. Um, that was not, not to excuse it for a second, they deserve to be punished uh, for what they've done. But um, I think there will, be, there will be more pressure on the FA to act as a result. Yeah, I think, I mean, my take on it was it was it was almost quite a petty situation because, let's get the facts right, regardless of whether he was spitting at CC or not, Evans spat first, two wrongs don't make a right. CC's retaliated in the heat of the moment and, and spat back at him. So it's kind of almost like what's good enough for you is good enough for me kind of thing. And that's that's where I think CC's head 
was at that moment in time. I'm sure he looks back on it now with a lot of remorse. I'm sure he realises that he's a role model and he can't do that. Um, and they're going to get banned and they're going to have to take the punishment like men, really, and, and get on with it because, you know, you can't go around spitting on people. Yes, there's worse things that go on, but, you know, if, if young players see that and they think it's acceptable for them, then they'll repeat it. You know, that's what happens in football. Young kids all the time, they're going to copy what the heroes are doing. And that's, that's why the FA will have to come down quite heavily. And I think six six or seven games, um, you certainly wouldn't be doing it again mm. in a hurry. Um, and for CCA, you know, his, his future's not clear-cut. You know, these could be this could have been the last few games we'll see of him. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it could end on a, on a sour note. Also worth pointing out that um, very recently Nemanja uh, Matic had his uh, three-match ban reduced to a two-match ban because of what Ashley Barnes did and and, and the fact that he, he was responding to that, whether they'll take that into account with CC or not, the provocation element. Mm. I don't know, it's it's down to consistency. It's, it's interesting that because I think well, we, we all know that the FA look at p- uh, players' behaviour when uh, given out sentences and the elbow to Coleman doesn't sit in... CCA's favour, but as you said, you know he's retaliating. Does that make it worse in their eyes, or does it make it? Well, I, th- I think the, the the fact that he's already served a, a suspension will add an extra game to his punishment. Mm-hmm. The question is, say whether the provocation element wipes that out or not. And frankly, we'll just not know until they make a decision. It's very, very hard to second guess it. But you know, as as Lee said, it's not good for the game that that these guys are doing this live on television, being broadcast across the world to however many people, the FA will want to clamp down on this and should clamp down on this because that sort of behaviour is not acceptable. Moving on from a negative then, let's talk about the biggest positive. I don't think I'm overstating this, that Newcastle United have had this season. Um, Jonas Gutierrez coming back into the team, it's an absolutely brilliant story. You don't see stories like this. You know, 18 months ago, he's told he's surplus to requirements. He goes out to, to Norwich on loan. He struggles at Norwich. He comes back. Obviously, um, gets contracts a, a terrible disease in testicular cancer. He beats that. He comes back, and he plays for the club again. This is an incredible story, Lee. And you've wrote a brilliant uh, piece about this today. And I would advise everyone to go and read it. Just how good is this? Um, I think it's it's he can prove to be an inspiration in a season that's effectively fizzled out. You know, maybe Gutierrez can be the, the sort of backdrop, the story of the season. He can provide inspiration for others who are affected by by this. And, you know, he's not the first and he won't be the last. And, uh, he, you know, he's battled back from a lot of adversity. Um, he's a very popular figure. I mean, obviously, me and Stu have known him for quite a few years now. Yes. Um, he's always been a popular figure at the club. Um, there's been times where his performance hasn't been... As, as good as maybe they should be but that's 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 part of the parcel of football the one thing I can say about Gutierrez is that he genuinely does love Newcastle United um, he was devastated when Alan Pardew told him he had to go to Norwich um, really disappointing to, to see him go because he does give you 100% on the pitch um, and it's just nice that you know this this story's had you know a positive ending um, and I think we all seen the Ovation he got last night. It did, did switch the atmosphere completely, didn't it? It did, but I, I mean, I think it, I think it goes way beyond Newcastle and probably way beyond football. You, yeah. you could see that that people everywhere were so happy to see him back. It wasn't yeah. just uh, just Newcastle United fans who were who were delighted. 
uh, not just his former teammates at other clubs. He's a he's a he's a genuinely popular figure, and the, and the fact that I say he he is an inspiration to people who suffer cancer and, and other serious illnesses is a is a wonderful thing. And um, with the way things are with Newcastle United at the moment with injuries, he could have an important part to play in the in the rest of the season if they're prepared to uh, risk him uh, triggering a new contract. Um, they could certainly. He came on. He came on at fullback, not not on the wing. You know, they they may well find with the problems they're having um, in defence that um, he could actually be an important figure as well as just an emotional. You mentioned the contract there, Lee. Do we have any information about the contract and the clause? I think there is a clause um, on the horizon, but I do not believe there are enough games left this season to, to trigger that. So I think it would be safe on that score. I think Newcastle's decision is going to be. Do we need to give this guy a contract anyway? Because um, I've done a little piece yesterday about contracts, and this season's quite unique. We're, we're finishing late in May. Um, the next season starts early, so in a nutshell, Newcastle have got about five weeks between the end of the season and the start of the season to get things sorted for the first day of pre-season training, get the squad shape up to what it should mm. be, signings in, potentially a head coach. They're going to have to make a couple of uh, quick decisions on, on players and who's to say that Gutierrez might not get a one-year deal anyway without you know without even taking the clause into consideration. Yes, I mean, Gutierrez has always been a, a player you can rely on. As Lee said, you know, he's not without his faults, but he's the sort of player who can do a lot of different jobs for you in a squad mm-hmm. and you know he's going to give everything every game. So mm-hmm. he's, the, he's the sort of person well you may or may not have doubts about whether he should be in your first team. He's well worth having around a, a squad on football ability, and of course on the effect he has on the dressing room as well. So, yeah. I, I would personally, if it was up to me, I would definitely view if he's definitely going to be fit and he can get through a Premier League season. I'd have no problems giving him another one-year contract. It's whether that's going to be uh, enough for him. It, it's interesting. We talked about inspiring people, inspiring people with cancer and to overcome such an awful disease, but and. His effect on the dressing room will be interesting as well. Can he inspire the players? Because you look at the ovation he got last night, and yeah, he's overcome a terrible disease. But it's not just that. The fans are genuinely happy to see someone who gives 110% every time he pulls on that shirt. And surely the players must be looking at this, and you think you can think of some despondent performances earlier this season, you know, City being the most recent one, where you can go, if you give 100%, the fans are going to back you to the hilt, and we've seen that last night. And hopefully, that can uh, carry to the rest of the dressing room. I think if effectively that's all Newcastle United fans want to see is, is someone showing a bit of passion in that shirt. You know, it's beyond Newcastle now to get in the Champions League because they won't spend enough money. Top six is a big push. Even the top ten's looking a little bit iffy. Um, they want to see the players that are entrusted with, to wear the shirt go out there and put a bit of passion in. And I hope that doesn't sound too cliched, but. There was certainly a few moments last night with Gutierrez when he went in for a couple of tackles, which was was very good to see. Uh, there was a moment in the Villa game where Daryl Yamat, there was a 50-50 ball, um, and he busted good to get there, and he won the ball. Uh, he didn't quite control it, but he got there first. And the crowd on the feet, you know, clapping, and Sammy Amiobi, he won a throw-in last night at one point when backs were against the wall. And everyone was, was, was cheering, you know, the fact that he just got stuck in. So... I think that's what the fans are looking for. It's hard to, to to get that across to fans outside of Newcastle. Sometimes I think down south people think you know the fans are quite greedy and they expect to be challenging for the Champions League and winning trophies. It's not the case. They want to see some passion on the pitch. 
they want to see their passion reflected, um, you know, on the terraces. So, you know, Gutierrez is a great guy to to maybe uh, to showcase what they want to see. And the other thing is, as well as showing passion, you want to see people actually enjoying themselves. Yeah. You know, there's 52,000 people who'd be desperate to be in their position. The last one thing you want to see them being is, is just looking miserable and, yeah. and downbeat. You know, as, as you said, was the case at Manchester City and, and games like that. Just somebody coming on with a smile on their face just makes you feel better apart from yeah. anything else. And we've had two of them in recent weeks, Ryan Taylor as well. You yeah. know, and, and you see the fir- one of the first things he did, he goes flying in for a challenge and, as I said, gets the whole crowd on the feet and gets them going. Um, okay, let's move on to a few questions. So, nice one for sending these in again as the hashtag AskEBW, as always. Um, we've got one from James Wheatman for you, Lee. Um, if we continue to want to play with wingers, do we have anyone who is capable of delivering in that role? Well, you know, Sammy Amiobi and Gabby Obertan have been, you know, selected to, to get the service into the strikers in, in the last two games. For me, Gabriel Obertan hasn't delivered that in 180 odd minutes or whatever it is um, his primary role should be to get his head down and get a cross in he's not doing that, he's getting there he's taking two or three touches, he's trying to check and you know fool the defender but then you've got your number 9 or your other striker stand there going, where's the ball I want, You know, I've made me run, I'm here, I'm now marked and you still haven't put the ball in so it's, it's, it's that kind of thing really there was another opportunity with Overtown against Villa where he got down the right, he cut inside, and then he tries this crazy shot from an acute angle, and it's just a complete waste of waste of ball. So, for me, the system is right four four two. The the um, the setup's right. John Carver's got the right idea, but you know, certainly Obertan isn't cottoning on to the fact he needs to start getting crosses in, and uh, mm. that's a real shame. Stu. I often look at Newcastle United and think it's a team in, with a bit of an identity crisis. Looking towards the transfer window, I go, "What does a Newcastle United player look like?" Mm. You know, if you th- if you think look through the league, you look at a Chelsea play, you kind of know what they look like. It's yeah. efficient, it's strong, it's powerful. Arsenal, it's technical. Swansea, even you can look at these teams. I don't know what a Newcastle United player looks like. I think part of that problem in the short term will come from the fact that that identity is normally set by the manager. Swansea is an exception where the, where the club mm-hmm. sort of sets that, that identity, but a Chelsea player looks like it doesn't so much look like a Chelsea player, it looks like a Mourinho player. Mm-hmm. And they really need that sort of figurehead, whether it be John Carver or somebody else, to stamp that authority on the club. Carver's not in a position to do that at the moment because he's only in the job temporarily. But I think, I think that that focus needs to come from the top this summer and it, everything will sort of come from there in terms of identifying the way you want to play, the type of players you want to play. I mean, you look at, you look at last night's opponents and they're still struggling to find their identity. That, that seems to come from a, a manager who's not qu- quite confident in his players. Um, but in the case of Newcastle United, it's very difficult when you, you're not entirely sure Who's, well, you don't have one, one set figure making all the decisions. You have certain people in charge of transfers, certain people having an input, other people picking the team, what have you. It's very difficult to get one focused identity when you've got these disparate people who didn't necessarily know one another before they started working together, trying to all work to that one aim. Mm-hmm. And what they could really do is, with, with somebody, ideally a manager, but it, you know, it could be a director of football or whatever, Taking the taking the lead in, in setting that that 
identity out for the club. Mm. That's, that's going to be for the whole club as well, hasn't it? Exactly. It's, it's going to trickle right through to the academy, to the youth team yeah. and stuff like that. And Lee, you, a couple of weeks ago, got to have a look behind the scenes, go into the academy and stuff. Is that what's going on? Are they, are they replicating and mirroring what's going on in the first team? I think that because the season's been so dis- disrupted because of a manager leaving, mm. a manager that a lot of people didn't really want at the start of the season, um, they are struggling to kind of put any kind of stamp on on what they should be. <clears throat> now, we know fans kind of want to see the old days of the entertainers in some ways. So it's a brand of football that everyone sticks to and you play it in your under-21s, your under-18s. need to get that established. And if they're not going to spend money, then it's time to start saying, right, we are going to go local and we're going to put some trust in, in local players because sometimes... While the, the likes of Dummett and Armstrong have been given debuts, there hasn't been a you know a twenty or thirty game run where there's four or five kind of local players in there, and if that's the identity of the club they want to build up, then they're going to have to do that and they're going to have to trust those players rather than you know mix and match it. And, and I think if Carver does get the job on a full line basis, which we're not one hundred percent sure he will, mm. then maybe that's where he's got to go and say, look, I've got no money, but I'm going to coach this team and, and put some passion back on the field because. It's been severely lacking at times uh, this season. Do you think that there's players there to do that? Well, I think Adam Armstrong's got a lot of promise. Um, obviously, Rolando Aaron's another good player. Not not a local boy, but he's come through the academy, mm. so he kind of fits into the into that category. And um, there's one or two youngsters in the under-18s at the minute that, that could have the potential to, to push on. But it's about bravery and it's about getting them through and getting them through quickly um, and, and giving them the chance. But... It's the same as anything. If you don't spend money, you will lack the quality, and you certainly will fall behind. You know your top six or seven teams. I think everyone yeah. can see that. I mean, Lee's absolutely right about bravery, but to, in all honesty, it doesn't take a great deal of bravery at the moment. They're not in a relegation battle. Mm. It's not going to cost them Champions League qualification. If ever there was a time to do it, particularly if Cisse gets suspended, this is the time to do it. Mm. And then the question will be. Is the system good enough? And is it producing players that are good enough? Yeah. And the only way to find out is to throw in Adam Campbell or an Adam Armstrong in. Yeah. And see what they're capable of. Yeah. Another question here from uh, Miles Lambeth on Twitter at Miles Lambeth. Um, I'm going to butcher this name, but is there an update on Ferreira, Lee? Well, I think you know he came here from Shakhtar Donetsk on loan. Apparently, he was uh, Colacini's. Close pal Colacini, who he said could do a job for Newcastle, but from very early on, it, it was obvious that he perhaps wasn't quite right for Newcastle. Um, from what I've been told behind the scenes, hasn't impressed at all in training. And there's a certain level you've got to hit in the Premier League, and he hasn't been hitting that. And obviously, he's suffering from a slip disc at the moment as well. Um, I personally don't think we'll we'll see him this season. Will he still be here at the start of next season? Um, well, he's only on loan, so I, I cannot see Newcastle stumbling up a fee for, for someone who hasn't played any any football. He's just not good enough. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, when when you're shopping in the market, then Newcastle are. I know they didn't buy. It's a bargain basement, isn't it? It's a bargain basement. Inevitably, some are going to come off and some aren't, and that's the risk you take. Uh, you know, you can't be too critical of. Uh, Revier having not scored uh, in the Premier League, when you look at the fee he came in on, Six you, million, every every pairs you get is, is a bonus. You kind of hope for maybe one in every, I don't know, three or four perhaps. Yeah. Um, it's not 
you're not paying the sort of money where you can demand a cast iron four out of four will be a success. I mean, it's it's you know going back to the old days. I think your old school managers <coughs> they used to pick up the the old Rothmans uh, yearbook and look at the strikers and you know would have played thirty games, scored 18, 19 goals. That's what it does. Go out and sign him, and then he'll, he'll do it for you. But now maybe it's overcomplicated all this stuff about oh we want to know which sock he pulls on first or where he eats and what he does and with his spare time and all that. Footballers will do what it says on the tin. Yeah. You know, if you want a footballer who scores thirty goals, you're gonna to have to pay the money to get yeah. them, the the guy who scores thirty goals. And you know, you can get lucky, as you say, with Perez and a couple of times Newcastle have done it with Kabai and, and maybe Debushi, but generally you pay the money you, you get what you pay for it's the same yeah. as anything in life yeah and I mean even then we saw 59.3 million pound midfielder struggling last night <laughs> you know so when you look yeah. in the context of that yeah uh, you know Revere and, uh, and, and what have you are having the worst of seasons yeah, yeah. definitely and 19th richest club in the world you know the money's there yeah we'll it's just, more than we'll just have, the money yeah we'll just have to see this summer what happens even more if you're not spending it yeah, yeah. exactly okay um, so another question here from Stephen Fenn at Stephen Fenn on Twitter. Um, why can't the Newcastle United team see a game out? He says, you know, Stoke and now Man United, late panic-stricken defending yet again. Is this a, because they're not stringing wins together that they're panicking, or we could get a point here, or is this something much deeper than that? I think th- th- there's an element of confidence. If you're, you know, you look at the Man United teams of years gone by, if you're look- used to winning teams late on, uh, sorry, games late on. You believe you can win games late on, and if you're used to losing them, you worry when it's mm. 85 minutes gone and it's nil-nil. And the other thing is, as Lee alluded to, um, they didn't have a lot of the ball. And when mm. you're chasing around for 90 minutes, you get tired, and when you get tired, you make mistakes. Mm. That's you know, that's something you don't always notice with these big teams, but that's often why they do win the games late on, because they grind you down. And they may, they may not batter you into submission with chance after chance. But if you're constantly chasing the ball, you're very tired by the end and you make the sort of mistakes that Medea have made. Mm. I mean, uh, taking away the missed chances for Newcastle, and they, they should have probably been one a lot by the time they, they did concede. I think they were a little bit unlucky with the throwing incident on the, on the right-hand side. Um, I certainly saw the ball come off a Man United sock and the linesman point the flag the other way. So they were a little bit robbed on, on, on that score. But... You know, teams like Man United, they make their own look. So they got lucky with that situation and then they go up to the other end and, and they take the chance. And unfortunately, Newcastle just haven't got the conviction to do that in the team. And uh, they've got a lot to learn. They really have because yeah. the, the the experience of seeing a game out, Alan Shearer used to do it so well. Yeah. Get a ball in the corner, get your head down um, and, and just eat away at the seconds. And this team just haven't learned to do that properly. Mm. Now's as good a time to learn as any. Certainly, yeah. Well, uh, we'll finish with this question then. And Lee, you've just talked about one of the decisions not going Newcastle United's way, and we've had several questions on this, saying Newcastle should have had a penalty. John Carver said Newcastle were robbed. What were your views on the incident? Well, I've I've seen them given, I've seen them not given, to be honest. And Newcastle haven't had many penalties this season. Um, but again, I think there's a lot to be said about. A referee who comes into into a football stadium and has it in his head, saying, "I will not be swayed by this crowd." Um, and obviously, Riviere went down. Fans got up on off their feet, which they're entitled to do. And you know they try try to to get the penalty 
for, for the team, which is absolutely fine. But I just think this referee was trying to be too strong, um, as if to say, you're not going to sway me into making this decision, and Newcastle didn't get it. And you know the TV replays show that it really was a Stonewall penalty. But you don't always get them, do you? No, I mean, it, 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 it was. It was a definite penalty, but... Um, from all the football I've seen this season, I, you know, I don't think it was. I, I don't think it. I don't even think it was the referee trying not to be swayed by the crowd or the fact that the referee was from Greater Manchester or the fact that it was a, you know, big historic club playing against, you know, a, a still a still fairly big club but not as big. I just think there are a lot of referees in the Premier League this season who aren't up to the standards that we expect, and whether that's us expecting too much or them not being up to scratch one way or another, there's been an awful lot of poor decisions made this year. And that was yeah, definitely. And is that because because of all the amount of like sky cameras, BT cameras that are in the ground now? We're watching them on the telly and we're going, we're seeing something from four or five different angles. Mm. We're seeing it slowed down, we're seeing it replayed. The referee doesn't get that. Are we? Is it highlighting the amount of mistakes? So not only are they conscious of making mistakes, they mm. think it's easier for them not to give a decision at all rather than risk you got that wrong yeah well I'll say one thing for the referees um, the referee Anthony Taylor will get the, get the blame for last night it wasn't his fault he didn't have a good view of it mm-hmm. his linesman had a brilliant view of it and I, I think there's the enough linesmen not, not taking enough responsibility I think that's <clears throat> happening an awful lot mm-hmm. um, whether that's because they're told by the referees I'm in charge you know you just stick to telling me about offsides and balling and, uh, and out or not I don't know but it's about if linesmen really want to be considered as assistant referees, they need to start assisting the referees a lot more. Mm. And you, men- you mentioned the, the, the TV cameras. Mm. Um, we've seen it in cricket, the reviews. I yeah. mean, I don't know if that's that's an idea now going forward. I mean, you've obviously got the goal line technology. We've we've finally moved on to that. Mm. I, I don't see anything wrong with a, with a review in a game. It's, it takes not that long to get it sorted. You get the right decision, the right outcome. Mm. Sure, if Anthony Taylor had a second opportunity just to glance over that last night, he'd have went back and awarded it. I must say, I'm not a fan, but as I wrote in the journal on Monday, my bigger concern is just raising the standards of refereeing before we start worrying about technology. That that's the basic problem. We should just get robots as well. We should just get robots. Well, this is interesting. This well, instead of importing robots, should we? You know, it's a global game now. The Premier League's all around the world. We import players. We import managers. Should we start? You know, trying to get the best referees from around the world to referee in the Premier League, or should it just be British refs? I don't think, there's, be, any harm. I don't think there's any harm at all. I, mm. I, I mean, uh, Kalini, uh, yeah. Kalina, sorry, he'd be. It would have been great to see him in the Premier League in his in his, his form, you know, and, and to see a few of ours over there, and because the the games refereed differently on the continent to here, and it obviously affects our referees and our players in European competition as well, mm-hmm. in terms of what constitutes foot up and, and, and things like that there's just different nuances that are refereed differently and there's a lot of conspiracy theories going around online so just to nip it in the bud does anybody think that the referee was influenced because he comes from Greater Manchester well I'm, I'd, I'd like to sit here and, and hope that he's not but w- one question I would like to, for the FA is, is that if it's okay for Anthony Taylor to referee this game why is Clattenburg not allowed to Absolutely. To referee Newcastle games, absolutely. It's the second time I've seen Anthony Taylor refereeing a, a northeast side in a couple of weeks, and the previous one was at Manchester City's ground. <laughs> so <laughs> they know, clearly don't have any concerns you know, about him. It comes back to consistency yet again. 
brilliant. Okay, guys, we'll leave it there. Um, we'll be back next week, but obviously with uh, Newcastle United not playing for I think it's eight days. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not. If you can, guys can get in touch, send us your questions, and hopefully we'll have a decent podcast next week. And hopefully we'll probably see the fallout of the CSA situation as well. Uh, so thanks very much for joining us. See you soon. Mm-hmm.